say the game is getting old. Monday morning and your coffee's cold. Life is not what you want it to be. You need another chance to. Welcome to a new direction. My name is Jay Izzo, and oh my gosh, do we have a great show! I am telling you. Okay, listen, you know, this show is called A New Direction because I try to help people find a new direction in their life, their relationships, their careers, their business, right? And we've done business books, we've done leadership books, we've done success books, we've we've covered the gamut of business. But you know what I haven't done on this show? Is I have not talked about money. I've talked about sales, but I've not talked about money. Today, we're going to talk about money. Because you know who I have today? Oh, yeah. You're going to say, how did you get him? His name is Clark Kendall. All right. He wrote this book called The Middle Class Millionaire. It is outstanding. I am telling you, it is like having a plan. The book's not all that long. It's like having this, this plan for your life and your money right in front of you. You, you need to go to Amazon, get the Kindle version. I, got, I have the Kindle version. I've read it twice. Actually, I've read it three times. The third time was more of a skim, but I've read it twice. It's a great book. You're going to get so much out of it. Clark Kendall is fabulous. He knows his stuff, and I'm telling you, he's going to be life-changing for you. I don't care where you're at in your money life cycle of where you're saving or where you're not saving, but Clark Kendall today, tonight, today, wherever you're listening – is going to give you some of the most sound advice that you've ever had in order to prepare for your future, and you're going to love him. But let's do what we do every week, right? What do we do every week? Well, I check in with you to see where you're at in the four areas of your life. You know I believe that we're four-part people, right? We're physical people, we're mental people, we're emotional people, and we're spiritual people. So on a scale of 1 to 10, let's just check in with each other, right? Scale of 1 to 10, 1 being miserable, 10 being outstanding, where are you at physically today, right? What's the number? What's your number today? Five is average, right? So if you're feeling, I'm just kind of average. Say, okay, it's a five. That's that's your five number. So where are you at? What are, what are you doing? Well, how did you get to that number? Is it, is it a big high number? Is it like an eight or a nine where, you, you know, you're feeling physically fit, you're feeling really good, you've been eating right, and you've got all those things going the right direction? By the way, what Clark is going to tell you is, you know what, your physical body is important to how long your money is going to last. He's going to tell you that. I'm just telling you. I know it's a teaser, and it's a teaser, but it's also a spoiler. Okay, it's one of the two. So how are you physically? And then Whatever that number is for you, what do you got to do to change that number, right? I mean, and maybe you you haven't you know maybe you had that gym membership back in you remember back in January first <laughs> that you haven't gone to since January second. Well, maybe it's time to get back into that gym membership, right? Or maybe it's time to you know change your eating habits or your diet, right? So so maybe what do you got to change right now? What can you do right now that you could commit to that you can change right now to make your physical life better? Okay, so that's your first number. Your second number is the mental number, right? And what do I mean by mental? Well, you know, we have two sides of the brain, right? We have a left side of the brain, we have a right side of the brain, right? The left side of our brain is that logical side of our brain. You know, sometimes we call it the Mr. Spock brain, right? And the right side of our brain is that creative side, that emotional side, that side of our brain that you know, sometimes, well, I think Clark might even say sometimes we make emotional purchases that we really didn't need to make because we got a little out of control because we were our right side of our brain kicked in there, right? But we're talking about the mental. What are you feeding into that mental part of you? What are you learning? How are you growing? How are you feeding both sides of those brains, both sides of those brains? How are you feeding that? to grow, right? Because even as we age, we can continue to grow our brain. We can continue to learn. We Just because we retire, 
we don't have to shut off our brain. Hello, come on, people. So uh, one scale, one to 10, one being miserable, 10 being outstanding, where are you at mentally? All right, and then, and then again, whatever that number is, what can you do to change it? Now, by the way, if you're a three, I'm not trying to get you to a 10. I just want you to get to a four, all right? That's all I want you to get to, right? So what do you need to do to just get to the next number? All right, so you got two numbers. We got the physical and the mental. How about the emotional number, right? And what do I mean by emotionally, and how is that different from the mental? Well, emotionally, sometimes we in psychology talk about an emotional quotient or emotional intelligence, but what we're what we're really talking about is how well are you able to control your emotions? That's part A, all right? And and trust me, because you know Clark's probably going to talk something about you know part A, part B, and part C of Medicare, but this is part A of the emotional part of the process, right? So. How well are you able to control your emotions? Like, you know, if you're in traffic and you get cut off, how are you able are you able to let that go? Or do you all of a sudden feel like you have the sudden urge to throw a gesture up at the window at the person who just cut you off, right? How well are you able to control it? That's part A. All right, part B is how well are you able to tune in to the emotions of others, right? Because that's that's equally as important. Because if you can't tune into other people's emotions, well, then that's a, that makes it difficult to have your relationships, whether it's in business or in life, right? So what can you do to improve both part A and part B? What can you do to improve not only controlling your emotions, but also learning about the emotions of others and being able to engage into the emotions of others, right? And what's that number for you? Same scale, one to 10, one miserable, 10 outstanding, five's average, where you at emotionally, all right? And then again, whatever that number is, what does it take to get you to the next number? All right. Finally, the spiritual area. Right. And you go, oh, Jay, I just don't believe in spiritual things. But you do have a spiritual side. I promise you that you do. And you know why? Because it's all the things that we can't explain with science. Look, I've got a science background. OK, I have this MS thing. That's part of my graduate work. OK, listen, I own I know this for a fact that there are some things that science will never and cannot explain. It's just a fact. And those things that we can't explain, that those are kind of in that spiritual realm, right? Sometimes it's God, but some people, you know, get feel like a settled or a centeredness or a peace about listening to music or nature or whatever it may be, right? Sometimes it's meditation that gives them a centered. But whatever that is, on a scale of 1 to 10, right, 1 miserable, 10 outstanding, how is that working out for you? So if it is God, how's that relationship working out for you? If it's nature, how's that working out for you? Maybe you believe in karma as, you know, how's karma working out for you? Whatever it may be, right? So you got these four numbers. And by the way, we don't take an average of these four numbers. They're all individual, right? You have to think of them as the four legs of a chair. If that chair is uneven because any one of those legs is lower than the other, well, it's hard to sit in the chair, isn't it? So we want to be balanced. But the other part of the chair is to bring that chair up to a right level where we can sit with a good posture. And that's the part of the process that we also all want to do together is that we want to bring those up to the perfect level. And that's what's important as well. So you've got those four numbers. Check in with yourself. And then what do you need to do with that? And that leads me to my next guest. Listen, he is outstanding. His name is Clark A. Kendall. And he has over 30 years of domestic and international investment and wealth management experience. Over 30 years. And he's focused on serving the middle class millionaire, right? He holds a Bachelor of Business Administration degree in finance and economics from um, J James Madison University, and is a formerly, former equity seat holder on the New York Stock Exchange. Clark is currently the president and CEO of Kendall Capital in Washington, D.C., and a member of the Washington Society of Chartered Financial Analysts. He is also a chartered financial analyst, accredited estate planner, certified uh, financial planner, and he is the author of the book that we're going to talk about today, Middle Class Millionaire, Surprisingly Simple Strategies to Grow and Enjoy Your Wealth. 
Please welcome to the show, Clark Kendall. Clark, welcome to A New Direction. Oh, Jay, it's an, it's an honor to be on your show. I, and what an introduction. Man, you're, you've got the energy of uh, 10 cheerleaders. I love it. Thank you very much. You are so welcome. Listen, I loved, I know I told you I've loved this book, but I really, really do because I love books that are practical guides to helping people to improve and become more successful. And I said this early in the show that I have done a lot of interviews of a lot of business books. I've done sales and success and leadership. And in all sorts of realms, I've never done a money book on this show. And so you're you're the first money book I have really done on the show. And I'm very excited to do this because uh, what people don't know is that I interviewed you previously on another show. And I enjoyed you so much. I, I really wanted you to do my show. And I just felt like this was a book that could help so many people in so many in an area that we struggle with. And that is money. And and we do struggle with money, don't we? We do. It's it's not unusual. I think, you know, what I love about my business and, and what I do for a living is, you know, to help people basically improve their lives, to make a difference. And one of the best compliments I ever had uh, from a client, I actually had from their son at their funeral, the son came up to me and said, you know, you guided my mom for the last 10 years of her life and you helped her have confidence and comfort and finances was not a worry and she enjoyed her last 10 years of her life and but what's even best is you had her money grow so she passed on more than she would have if she had done it on her own but that's kind of that's a pleasure to make a difference in other people's lives and as Winston Churchill said, you make a living by what you earn. You make a life by what you can give others. That's beautiful. I love that. I love that. And by the way, I love Winston Churchill's quotes. I, I When I hear them, they just, I don't know what they do to me, but there's something very magnificent about them. I, In your book, okay, right in the introduction, you, I'm, I'm going to give you a quote that you wrote. You said, millionaires aren't as rare as they used to be. It's becoming more common for people to amass a net worth of a million dollars or more by the time they retire. There's two terms in there that I think people either struggle with or are not real sure of. The first one is, I think, the idea of middle class. But I think the second piece of it is uh, is a million dollars. To some people, they think that that's a lot of money is a million dollars. So help us walk through, is it really a lot of money? First of all, is, is being a millionaire, talk to us about being a millionaire in the middle class and, and how do we make that all work together? Well, I, as it, I'm in just outside of the Washington, D.C. area. One out of 11 households in the Washington, D.C. area have more than a million dollars of investable assets. And then time and time again, I'm seeing teachers and policemen and firemen walk into our office who have basically been prudent savers. And um, so it's it really what I see is it's not so much how much money you earn, but it's the lifestyle. Um, it's a lifestyle that you lead that, that gives you the opportunity to amass a million dollars of investable assets. And I also think, you know, compared to our parents and grandparents generation, you know, they worked for the IBM for 20 years or they worked. Uh, for the union for 20 years, and there was a union pension to take care of you. You know, people now change jobs so much. So much, um, it's become the employee's responsibility to be uh, 
to be in charge to make sure that they have long-term health insurance, to make sure that they have a retirement, to make sure that they can send their kids to college. Who are the middle class? Well, I think, you know, I think if you make more than what, 110,000, you're considered in the top 10% earners and what the medium family income is about, what, 50, 60,000 right now. Right. So I'd say the middle class, as far as earning wise, is that, you know, let's say 50 to, uh, you know, 110,000 of household income. So this, th- we're talking about a really significant population here of people that, uh, really have an opportunity to really improve their financial well-being. That is correct. That is correct. So let's let's talk about let's talk about this book a little bit more, and let's go into it a little bit deeper here, outside of just the introduction. So, you divide this book up into three sections. The first section is called "How to Accumulate Wealth," and and it's a couple chapters. And the first thing that you say, and I found this so awesome because I I had somebody talk to me about this because uh, I I've had in my past I've had a horrible relationship with money. And, and I don't think that's uncommon, by the way, and I'm sure that you see it more than I do. But in your first chapter, you talk about the mindset of a saver. Okay, I'm going to be completely honest here. I, that, that, has been the, that has been an area early, less so now, but early in my past, I was a spender. Do you find that in households there's generally a saver and a spender or two spenders or two savers? What, what do you generally find in your work? as a financial advisor? Um, I found not so much whether or not one spends and one saves, but I think the people who get it understand they don't have to have the latest, you know, don't have to have the iPhone, you know, 11 right away. They'll wait for the next model to come out. They understand that they can buy a car. They don't need the latest new car. They can wait and get last year's model you know, 30% cheaper. And, and I think they do those nickel and dime savings. And, and I, as I always like to say, rubbing two nickels together adds up to dimes, rub two dimes together and adds up to dollars and long-term dollars rubbed together just add up to good sense. <laughs> that's actually kind of clever. I gotta be honest with you. That's pretty awesome. I enjoyed that. That's, I like what you did there. That's awesome. So what is different about the mindset of a saver? I mean, what, what is it, what is it that's so different about them? I, I, I think they don't have the consumption mentality. And I think going back to your book, they have the mentality that they believe in themselves mm-hmm. and they know where they want to go and what they want to accomplish. Um, they're not so worried about what other people think. They understand where they want to go in life and they understand what sacrifices need to be made. And they'll give up those short-term sacrifices to meet those long-term goals. Okay, so you have these three um, you have these three tips about the saver's mindset. Okay, and um, I, I'm just I'm going to kind of read them, and then I want to I want you to kind of maybe elaborate a little bit on them. The first is that okay. um, save first, then spend. Live below your means and start early. So let's let's kind of let's kind of walk through this because I don't know that people understand what you mean when, I mean, it sounds intuitively obvious that I should save first and then spend, but it's not, it, it's not exactly the, what we're probably thinking here. Am I correct on that? Well, I think that the simple mindset is 
basically, if you got a kitchen jar, you get your paycheck at the end of the week. You know, you put 10% into the savings jar and you don't spend that. You don't take it to the bar with you. You don't take it shopping at the mall. Right. Um, you set that aside. Um, I think that that's, that's the key issue and that that's where you don't buy the latest iPhone. You don't buy the newest car um, is where you go with that. Um, and the mindset is, is, you know, you don't have to have the biggest house. You don't have to go on the fanciest vacations. You know, I know that, you know, camping with my children, you know, they enjoy more so than going to Disney world every year. Mm. And, um, I think you just change that mindset. And, and if you've ever been to Disney world, I, you're shocked at how expensive oh, that is. Terribly and expensive. my and my kids will tell me that, you know, the, uh, you know, to go swimming at the lake at the campground is just, is just as much fun. And it's that time together that you cherish. And that becomes the mindset, you know, of that middle-class saver. So let's move on to living below your means. I think this one is a hard one for so many people because I think we still, I, you know, we used to say keeping up at the Joneses. I don't know if we still say that. I think, but I think we psychologically feel that we have to keep up with the Jones, right? I mean, I feel like, and I think this is, I, I think this is one of the reasons why we don't live below our means is because we feel like we are in, so, I don't know, is it some sort of crazy competition that we feel like, oh, well, we've got to put on this show or that show? How do we do, how do we get there? Do you know what I'm saying there? I, as I say, you know, not only, I, I actually mentor uh, college students at the local university, and I always ask them, I say, where do you want to be five years from now? Hmm. And tell me what that picture, paint that picture for me. And, you know, I'll listen to where they want to go. And then I'll say, how do you want to get there? And I let them tell me how they want to get there. And I think we need to do that. the same thing with our finances is paint your picture of where you want to be five, 10 and 20 years from now. And then, and then how do you go about getting there? And I think that's where a financial advisor can help someone efficiently paint that picture. I think that's what this book does. It paints, it helps you paint that picture of, of what your picture will look like, you know, five, 10, 15 years from now. We're talking with Clark Kendall. He is author of this outstanding book called The Middle Class Millionaire, Surprisingly Simple Strategies to Grow and Enjoy Your Wealth Here on A New Direction. And you know what? A New Direction is brought to you by who else? But none other than inline business brokers and advisors. They are internationally known. You know, I've been talking about them since day one that I've done the show because they were the very first sponsors of the show. And if you're a business owner, at some point you're going to need the services of an experienced business broker. So selling your business is a big decision. So make sure you build your deal team, starting with the experts at Inline Business Brokers and Advisors. And you can learn more by going to inline.com. That's E-N-L-I-G-N.com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors. It doesn't matter where you're at in the world. If you are looking to sell or buy your home, Linda can help you find the absolute best expert in your area to help you do that. And if you happen to be in the Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, Research Triangle Park area, why don't you stop in because she can 
help you understand why her and her team can help you understand why they have legendary customer service when it comes to real estate. They've been doing it for 34 years. There's a reason why and why, and you can learn more at lindacraft.com. And I got to give a shout out. The t-shirt shout out of the week goes to Epic Physical Therapy. I have used them. Uh, I have, I've had so many repairs on my body from playing football and doing a lot of other things. And I got to tell you, if you want to be epic, why don't you check out the folks at Epic Physical Therapy? Thank you for the t-shirt, Epic. I appreciate you. I appreciate you getting me back to being able to do what I love to do in the gym. And they are all bringing you in a new direction. And we are here with Clark Kendall, author of The Middle Class Millionaire, here on A New Direction. And Clark, as we are going through this book and we're um, still kind of here in section one, which is how to accumulate wealth. We talk about accumulation of wealth and I think people struggle with that. Uh, I think it's a difficult thing for them to kind of wrap their mind around about accumulating wealth. I, I think people feel like they live from paycheck to paycheck and that they just can't get, get to accumulating. And we've talked about, you know, saving and paying yourself first and living below your means. But you had something interesting in your book, um, in the formula for success, and it's called the rule of 72. Explain the rule of 72. Great. Well, rule of 72 is uh, one of the first things they teach in business school about investing. But whatever two numbers are divisible by 72 will tell you how long it takes to double your money. So if you earn a 7.2% return on your money divided by 72, it will take you 10 years to double your money. If you uh, if you earn a 15% rate of return, it will take you five years to double your money. I think, you know, to be timely, what's going on in the investment market right now, the 10-year treasury yields 1.5% um, right around the inflation. It will take you... You know, 72 divided by 1.5 will take you 48 years to double your money. I don't have that kind um, of time. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't have that kind of time, Clark. I really don't. And I don't think most people do have that kind of time. I mean, no, they don't. But, but go ahead. Yeah, but but I guess I po I point out a lot of people. What I see time and time are people are actually too conservative with their investments. If you you know, if you are investing for retirement as 10 or 20 years from now, you know, a lot of people got scared out of, of owning stocks or mutual funds in 2008, and never got back into the market. But now, um, you know, they're all they're on the long way to doubling their money because they put it all into a money market. And I think it helps people, you know, focus as far as, as I said, where are we going to be 10 years from now or 20 years from now? And I think it's a very helpful to kind of, you know, turn off the TV and, and pull out a piece of paper and do the rule 72 math. Right. And, and this comes down to risk and return, right? I mean, my dad, uh, who's no longer with us, but he grew up in the silent, he, he was born in the silent generation, 1931, but he was extraordinarily conservative. Uh, matter of fact, he felt that investing in the stock exchange or stock market or any of that, he felt that that was gambling. And <laughs> I used to say, well, dad, every time you step into the bathtub, it's a gamble. Uh, every time you step off a curve, it's a gamble. But risk and return, how do we, how do we, how do we kind of deal with that personally when it comes to risk and return when we're talking about the rule of 72? Because I mean, I mean, with the less time that we have, do we have to be more risky, or how do how do we make that judgment? 
Well, I think that that's a great question. We do we do address that in the latter part of the book. Right. We talk about tranche investing, but I, I call it time horizon investing. Utilize short-term investment products for short-term needs. If you're going to, if your son or daughter is a senior in high school and you're going to be sending them to college over the next four years, I think that you want to have that money that you've set aside for college in safe, secure types of investments. Um, but if you want to maintain purchasing power and you, you want to retire 10 or 15 years from now, you're not going to be able to maintain or you're going to have a difficult time maintaining purchasing power, you know, rolling it over in 90-day treasury bills for the next 10 years. So I think sometimes it's put it in buckets, put it in, yeah. you know, time horizons as far as balancing those things. I want to sh- share with you a story that I shared within the book. To use an example, 20 years ago, I managed money for a 90-year-old woman. This was 1998, and she had $6 million. And at the time, she was 90% invested in stocks, and she's 90 years old. And at the same time, Alan Greenspan was talking about irrational exuberance in the marketplace. And uh, Charles Shaw wrote a book that said, whatever your age is, you know, minus 100 or from 100 should be your allocation to stocks. So she should have been, you know, 10% in in stocks and 90% in fixed income. And and so I sat down with her and I said, do you think we have too much money in in common stocks? And this 90-year-old woman you know, said to me when I'm sitting across with my CFA, my CFP designations, she goes, listen here, Sonny, I didn't get $6 million by buying CDs and money market accounts. And she goes, at 90 years old, I don't think I'll ever be able to spend $6 million. So you're really investing it for my children and grandchildren. Mm. And I think they should own stocks, don't you? And I was like, you are a wise woman. Yeah. Like a thank you for for sharing. And I think I think that gives us great insight of how you know how the wealthy accumulate wealth as they do have a long term horizon to what they're doing. I love um, that. And the other thing I, I will share, coming back to one of your points, is I do think if you own one or two stocks, it is gambling. I think you need to own a portfolio of stocks. Right. And there's different academic research of, you know, 10 to 20 stocks at, at minimum or mutual fund. Um, but I do think owning one or two stocks becomes gambling. And so I agree with your father along those lines, but I do think a well-diversified portfolio uh, does make sense for investors. We're talking with Clark Kendall and uh, his book, uh, outstanding book, by the way. This is, by the way, this book is so good. It's it's called The Middle Class Millionaire, Surprisingly Simple Strategies to Grow and Enjoy Your Wealth. And what I, what I loved about this book, Clark, so much is I just enjoyed just so much of the practicality of it. You're not talking about things here that are difficult, which which gets us to section two of this book, which is, which is entitled How to Grow Your Wealth. But you start talking about financial literacy. And... Got to be honest with you. I feel, first of all, I feel like I'm pretty financial literate. Uh, but when I read your book, I became more financially literate. Why is it so important for us to learn the language of of, of the financial literacy? Um, 
I think so. You're not scared. Uh, you know, a well-educated person can can make decisions. If you don't know just the phrases and the terms, um, then it's hard to make a decision as far as you know what you should do or what you should not do. So I just think we just went back and explained the different terms as far as you know, 401ks, 403bs, right. when to Roth or not to Roth. Right. I I, I think there's. I'm just going to read somebody. I'm going to quiz the listener right now. Okay. I, I just want you as a listener. This is some of the, the terms that Clark has in his book. And I'm just going to, we're going to do a little quiz for you. And I want you to ask yourself, do I really know what this means? Active versus passive investing annuities, whether they're variable or fixed. Okay. That's the first one. Do you know what that means? Secondly, do you know the difference between asset allocation versus asset correlation? This is in Clark's book, by the way. Do you know what bond coupons are? Duration, maturity, credit ratings. Can you can you explain that? Do you know what capital gains and losses are? And do you know how to offset them to reduce tax liability? Right? These are just some of the terms. By the way, he he goes through and he he literally goes through this book. And this is the beauty of this book because you literally have a glossary of terms in the back of the book to help people become more financially literate. Which is, I think, is just, I think, is just brilliant. I want. There's a couple. There's a couple, though. I think that I would like to like to have you kind of expand on, though. One of them is called stock valuation methodology. What do you, What do we mean by that? What do you mean by that? What is the definition of that? Um, when we say stock, stock valuation, yeah, mm -hmm. it's basically determining the intrinsic value of what that underlying stock is. Um, all investments. Uh, we'll get a little bit technical. All investments boil down to a return of cash flow and the predictability of the cash flow, right? That's why, you know, as I said, a 10-year treasury yields 1.5% because we know it's backed by the U.S. government. We know every six months interest rates, uh, interest payments will be made. Um, the valuation of something like, um, you know, some Philip Morris is a great example. Philip Morris is part of the jewel, you know, jewel company. Right. Well, their valuations, we're unsure what the ca future cash flows will be because there could be potential lawsuits. Right. So you go down to the the value, value and underlying security. And those are two examples where one we know is very pr predictable. One we know, you know, is questionable what the ca future cash flows will be to because of potential, uh, you know, liability in in the courts. So one of the things that you talk about in this book, and I really loved this point, and it's a small, it's a small statement that you make, but it's, I think it is extraordinarily important for people to hear, and that is that you make a statement that says the media is not always helpful when it comes to making these decisions or understanding these things. Why is the media not always helpful to us? Because, you know, I, listen, I'm a Bloomberg guy, right? I love watching Bloomberg. I know some people, you know, like to what? What is it? CNBC, MSNBC, or whatever they like to watch. But some of these, the media is not always a helpful guide to investing. Why is that? Well, I think it's almost um, it's almost like fashion trends sometimes. You know, whether our ties narrow or are they fat. You know, so <laughs> you don't know. I think you know if if we look at the media right now. Um, there's been a heavy IPO market. You know, the Beyond Meat came out, Uber came out, Lyft came out, WeWorks are expected to come out. And there's hype as far as what these companies do. But 
I think where investors get lost is they don't look at that underlying cash flow of these companies. Mm-hmm. And are they profitable companies? Do they have good products and services? And I think when, when people are well-educated, they can look through the hype of the daily fluctuations and determine whether or not a security or an investment, you know, is a good opportunity and whether or not that fits into their long-term investment strategy and plan. I want to talk about emotions for a second. You you kind of alluded to Alan Greenspan back in the nineties. I think it was when he talked about emotional exuberance where everybody, you remember the dot-com bubble burst that happened. How can we not forget it? And we, mm-hmm. kind of, we kind of had this bubble mentality and everybody started saying, oh, you know, <laughs> I, I can't remember what the name of the company was now. It, I don't know if it was Web Monster or whatever it was. I remember they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe millions of dollars on Super Bowl commercials. By the way, they're, they're no longer in existence. <laughs> I think about, I think something like 50% of every dot-com company that was ever on the Super Bowl in the 90s no longer exists or more. And, mm-hmm. and we we got all caught up into it right we got all caught up into that emotional oh man the internet the web oh that's gonna be great we're gonna all invest in it and and everybody started jumping in and i saw this by the way uh and i you know i wrote a book on social media and i saw this by the way when um snapchat came out and snapchat came out and it you know started out at about 27 dollars a share and and people were like, oh, man, Snapchat, man, when they go public, they're going to be great. And then it dropped down to $6 <laughs> in a heartbeat, mm-hmm. in a heartbeat. How do we protect ourselves from our own worst enemy, which is our emotional impulses? How do we do that? Well, I think you need to use common sense, too. And um, you're right. I, I love to use the example of, you know, Qualcomm um, at the turn of the century you know, Qualcomm makes money every time we we use our cell phones, or every time we text, they make a royalty off the technology. Mm. Um, since 2000, Qualcomm's revenues and earnings have grown 17 times. Wow. You know, they're a profitable company, but the stock trades at two-thirds the value that it did at the turn of the century, 19 years later. Um, so I think we need to be conscientious as far as the valuations. And I would argue that, you know, I think the look at Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, um, the valuations is, is very high. And Netflix, I think, is off 35% from its high. So I think we, we need to be conscientious as far as the valuations and, you know, are we paying too much for these companies? Um, on the opposite side of the coin, I sort of say the second tier of corporate America right now uh, the Russell 2000 index is trading at just 10 times cash flow. And, you know, coming back to the rule 72, you know, if you're, you're buying a company at 10 times cash flow and they don't increase revenue or earnings, you know that you can double your money in just 7.2 years. So I think there's great opportunities for profitable, you know, companies. But I do think investors need to be conscientious along those lines. I, I, I could not agree with you more. I think I think we get kind of caught up into, and, and you said this earlier, you know, we kind of get caught up into the individual kind of trendy, you know, ooh, you know, this is the new bright, shiny object. <laughs> and and then what we do is we kind of go, oh, let's just jump on it, right? And and sometimes, listen, I, listen, I had friends who, before Alibaba came out, they 
they said, oh, you need to get in on this, you know, get in this. And I am not one who likes to just jump on a stock. But they said you got to get in. And by the way, it's worked out great for them, right, when they when they got in on the ground floor of it. But, I mean, that's not always the case, right? That's correct. Yeah. And uh, I think for every Alibaba, you know, many times there's there's nine others. And I think, you know, even if you're, you're an IPO investor, I think you need to have a basic investment strategy as far as really knowing what's a good company and what's not a good company and, and to have a strategy and discipline for what you're doing in the marketplace. And we really don't have any excuses, Clark. I mean, when we think, I mean, we have this thing called Google that really we can look up just about anything to find out about any company that we want to find out anything about, right? I mean, we don't have, we really don't have an excuse to not do the research or the homework. That is correct. That is correct. So, so Um, go ahead. I was going to say, but the book, coming back to the book a little bit, the book is not about doing um, security analysis. Right. I I think the book is, is integrating those wealth management strategies into everyday living. And I also give it an example. The book is filled with examples of, of sitting across the table from clients. I want to say probably around 2010, I was sitting across the table from clients, husband, wife, school teachers here um, outside of Washington, D.C. They had a half million dollar house. We were doing all the retirement plans that the school system offered for them. Um, but they had a $100,000 mortgage on their house, you know, that cost them 7%. On the opposite side of the coin, they had $100,000 in a CD that at the time was only yielding 1%. It was just right after the Great Recession. Ben Bernanke bought interest rates way down. And I said, you know, the most conservative thing we can do right now is take your 1%, $100,000 CD and pay off your, you know, 7% mortgage. Right. We can save six percent, and uh, so we agreed upon it. And six months later, they came back into the office, and um, and they hadn't paid off the mortgage. I said, "Well, why didn't we pay off the mortgage?" And they, the client said, um, "The lady said basically that hundred thousand dollars was what represented for my mother's estate, you know." And so I went out and bought a CD. And every month I open up that statement and I see that $100,000 and I think about my mother and we spent a half an hour talking about her mother. Um, and she was also not born 1930s, but 1920s. And right. Back then they didn't have IRAs or 401ks right. or Roth features. But we talked about that. And then I said, so that CD statement you receive every month, that's kind of like a tombstone where you, you have the opportunity to remember your mother. And she goes, yes, every every month I, I think of my mother. And she goes, I go, well, that that tombstone costs you $500 a month to maintain. And she goes, what do you mean by that? I go, well, if you borrow money at 7% and you invest at 1%, 6% on $100,000 is $6,000 a year divided by 12 that's $500 a month in maintenance on that tombstone you've got. Mm. And she goes, well, I never looked at it that way. Mm. And I said, yeah, it's expensive. And anyway, so we, we packed up and six months later she came back and she had paid off her mortgage. I said, what happened? She goes, 
well, I had a little quiet time with my mother, and <laughs> we both agreed that I should pay off that mortgage. She would be proud of me. That's awesome. I, go, I think she is. But um, A, that's a great example of, of the power of making a difference in somebody's life um, to improve it. And so she resolved to do the right thing. From a CFA point, point of view, your marginal cost of capital at 7% versus your marginal return at 1%. You know, if you're borrowing money at 7% and you can't get a, a 7% no-risk return, you should pay that money off. And that's what we did for her. We're talking with Clark Kendall uh, and his book here on A New Direction. The book is entitled The, the Middle Class Millionaire. It's a fabulous book. It's a practical book. And it's, uh, matter of fact, we're going we're gonna to talk to him just after this. Hey, did you know that The New Direction is brought to you by uh, Inline Business Brokers and Advisors? They really have been, they're internationally known, and they've been the sponsor since the very beginning of A New Direction. They have literally helped thousands of clients in the sale and purchase of businesses. So when it's time to sell your business, contact the professionals at Inline Business Brokers and Advisors. You can learn more by going to inline.com. That's E-N-L-I-G-N.com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors, uh, located in Raleigh, North Carolina, and the Research Triangle Park area here. They are known as the as, as having a legendary customer service. And if you want to find out why, why not stop at 7300 Six Forks Road in Raleigh, North Carolina, get a free bottle of water, and find out why for 34 years they've been at the top and why they've helped so many people, thousands of people all over in, in when it comes to real estate. And we thank them for their sponsorship. And we're back here on A New Direction with uh, Clark A. Kendall and uh, his amazing practical guide entitled Middle Class Millionaire, Surprisingly Simple Strategies to Grow and Enjoy Your Wealth. And Clark, we, we were talking about, and I, it's funny, I think you know where I'm going. I feel like you know exactly where I'm about to go here. Because I wanted to talk, you talk about debt in the book. And, and I want to talk about debt because here's what you say. You say you should only borrow to invest in assets that appreciate or produce income. Conversely, you should avoid borrowing money or using this leverage to pay for consumption items, especially luxury items such as sports, cars, or vacation. So what is good debt and what is bad debt what, when, you, when you talk about that? As I said, I, it, coming back um, right now in today's you know, mortgage market, you can borrow money at you know, 3 or 4%, um, which I think is um, relatively cheap money, at least on a historical basis, and even relative to the inflation rate, you know, one and a half, two percent. Um, so if we borrow money at three or four percent with our right hand, we want to make sure that left hand is investing it at better than you know three or four percent. You know, right now the Dow Jones Industrial Average has about a three percent dividend yield. Um, so I think there's, you know, quite frankly, there's great opportunities very conservatively, you know, to borrow money. I don't think, and that's called, considered financial leverage um, in today's market. Um, financial leverage is not bad. I think it just needs to be, you know, managed. You don't want to go borrow money, you know, at 6 7% and buy a depreciating asset like a car or a vacation. Or right. you, you want to have that money working for you. Um, so I think people getting people get in financial trouble when they, you know, borrow money to just to consume something. In, in your book, and I love this part of your book, you talk about good credit habits. Can you give us a few good credit habits that you kind of just rely on to give some people just 
from the book, give them a, just a few things about some good credit habits that they that they should really, really say. If you said this, these are my tops, right? Because you list the, you list a number of them in the book. But if you you were to say, okay, look, folks, here's here's what I think are some of my top suggestions for you to develop good credit habits. What would those be? Well, the good credit habits is. For example, the simple things like pay off your credit card every month. If, if you can't pay it off all at once, at least continue to make the minimum payments. But I think what you really want to do is have that balance be zero. And and I think it comes back to the first part of the, the conversation, Jay, is we really want to um, limit the consumption. We don't want to be borrowing money uh, for consumption items. Borrowing money is not bad, but but I think we need to have that general philosophy that we're borrowing money um, to make investments, to leverage the skills and talents of the assets that you have. You you talk about one of the things that you talked about in when it comes to good credit habits. You talk about, um, you know, you, you say something about use your home equity strategically and wisely. What do you mean? by using your home equity strategically and wisely? Um, when we say use our home equity strategically and wisely, um, help me, I don't have the book in front sure. of me right it, You now. said it, it, could be, it could be a powerful tool if used with discretion and restraint when it comes to home equity and st using it strategically and wisely. It could be a powerful tool if used with discretion and restraint. That's right. For coming back to my example here, um, if you can borrow money at three or four percent, um, if nothing, I think a lot of people have the mentality of I want to pay off my mortgage as quickly as possible. But if you can take instead of paying off your mortgage, you know, maximize the contribution in your 401k, your 403b plan, your retirement accounts, right. you know, make contributions into an IRA account make contributions into a Roth IRA. Um, and, and that's basically leveraging that, that equity you have into your home. Also consider, you know, quite frankly, the tax advantages of utilizing 529 plans if you want to sit, you know, send children to college or yourself to college. But um, so I think that's a strategic thing of using that home equity, not being in a big hurry just to automatically uh, pay that mortgage off. Okay, so moving moving through this, uh, there were some other great things in this book that I have got to touch on because when I interviewed before, we never really got to talk about some of these practical tips, but you have some amazing practical tips. One of them that I think stumps so many people that I'm so grateful that you talked about was smart car shopping tips. And I, and you had some great smart car shopping tips. And by the way, I employ some of these as well personally, right? So for instance, I'll give you an example from that you, you mentioned in the book is I don't buy a new car. I, I, I refuse to buy a new car because I believe it's a depreciating asset. As soon as I drive it off the lot, it's just, I've lost at least 40%, if not more, as soon as I drive it off lot. You know, people feel like they have to have a new car all the time. And I, I, I don't, my, we don't do that. I mean, we buy great cars, but they're not brand new. 
do you have other smart car shopping tips that you would advise people when it comes to shopping for a car? Because I think people fall, I think people get car rich and then they're, they're, then they have no money because they, they lease these vehicles for extraordinary amounts of money or they buy a brand new car because they think it's got to be brand new. What other car shopping tips do you have for them? Yeah, the, I think the big thing is, I think there's, you know, to buy the car that's six months old, to buy the car that's, you know, a year old, um, I think makes perfect sense, you know, less than 15,000 miles. And depending upon, um, depending upon the car, you know, you can buy as much as 20, 30% off of, of buying it brand new. Right. And that just makes a huge sense. And I do think, I always say though, when you buy a car, you know, buy, buy what you want. Um, because too many times, at least me personally, if, if you, you know, if you want really want heated seats, you know, get heated seats so that you know a year or two years from now you don't want a new car because you really did want heated seats. I would say buy buy what you want, and then drive it as long as you can. Drive it until it drops because, you know, unlike common stocks, you know the the bid ask spread on cars is actually fairly high. You know, if you're, if you're, you buy a car on Monday and sell a car on Tuesday. I mean, there's a big spread between the, the bid ask unless you happen to be a car dealer. You know, I found this so true. By the way, my first, just to just to reemphasize your point in a story, I bought a car back in, I bought a Cadillac Escalade back in 2003. It was a 2002. Bought it a year old. Bought it at a tremendous discount. Drove it for 16 years until basically I couldn't drive anymore. But I really did. And and I and we bought the car in cash so that we didn't have a payment. And I can't tell you how freeing it was to not have to go into a bank. And you talk about this in your book, that there's a lot of freedom in not having to worry about one more payment. And and I, 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 I think, yeah, I, I don't think people understand that they, they, we just don't have to have, this again goes back to the emotional aspect of it, think of it, that you talk about in the book over and over and over again, by the way, uh, that you do such a great job here in, in the middle class millionaire, is that we sometimes get so caught up into the new, and it just doesn't have to be that way. That's very, that's very true, and um, you're right, to take, take the emotions out, I think that comes back to the initial point of, you know, live below your means, and, um, and not to buy the, the newest, fanciest cars, cell phone, as we mentioned before. And it, it is the mindset of the middle-class millionaire. I have clients who make three, four, five hundred thousand dollars, and they struggle, to, you know, to live within a budget. On the opposite side of the coin, you know, as I mentioned before, we have the teachers and the policemen and the firemen who have accumulated one and two million dollars because they live modestly and. The, the, they don't find satisfaction by having the latest and the greatest. Right. Uh, we're talking with Clark Kendall, author of the book, Middle Class Millionaire, here on A New Direction. And A New Direction is brought to you by, uh, who else? Inline business brokers and advisors. And they represent profitable privately held companies with gross annual revenues in excess of a million dollars. Inline delivers the highest market value in the shortest amount of time with complete confidentiality. The comp complete confidentiality, that's the registered trademark. You can learn more, if you will, by going to on, online to nline.com. That's E N 
L-I-G-N.com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors, when it comes to real estate, they are known as the legends of customer service. Find out why. You can just go to lindacraft.com. It's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T. One of the things that I uh, I subscribe to and I and I agree with you in your book, and I just feel like you need to talk about this piece of it. Why is it so important that we work with a financial professional? Um, I, it, the analogy I always give, it's like going into Home Depot, <laughs> buying a bunch of two by fours and a toilet and trying to build your own house. Um, <laughs> my wife and I had the pleasure of building our own house 20 years ago and my wife did the design on a piece of graph paper and we had a builder build our home for us and the builder said I can build this house but the way you've laid it out it's not structurally sound we've got to move the stairwell around it you know thank god he was there and I didn't try to build the house and he had subcontracted out a lot of the work and we have well and septic and the and evidently the plumber came in, put in the septic field and, you know, septic supposed to go four inches down for every four feet, but it wasn't doing that. And the builder called up the plumber and said, listen here uh, to the plumber said, if you want to build the next 40 houses for me, you go correct, correct the Kendall's plumbing because it's not right. And I think that the, where a financial advisor can come in is a financial advisor, if he does it, he or she does a good job, they can listen to what you're trying to accomplish and they can map out and they can execute, you know, you're building your financial house. And um, as I always say, my builder, you know, wasn't a rocket scientist, um, but he had built a hundred houses before and he knew he listened well to what we were trying to accomplish. And he, he had buying power. He had the power to call up the plumber, the drywaller, and say, you know, do a good job. And he knew what a good job was in each aspect of the house. I think in the financial services industry, one thing I'm quite passionate about is to have a fiduciary investment advisor, one that sits on the same side of the table as the client, someone that can use their skills and talents and be an advocate, just like an accountant or attorney or a doctor. And so, I think those are the key things as far as doing them. I think right now there is a proliferation of you know, do-it-yourself vehicles or index funds. There are over 15,000 uh, index funds available in the marketplace, yet there are only 3,800 stocks that trade on the New York and NASDAQ, so there's almost what, three, four times as many right. indexes for do-it-yourselfers. But I think I see time and time again where do-it-yourselfers aren't making the right asset allocation. Do-it-yourselfers, you know, aren't diversifying a portfolio. Yeah. So that would be my, my my passion, to be quite frank with you. And you know what I I think I think though, Clark, of course, your passion comes out through this book because it's so practical. And uh, we were I can't believe we've been on for almost an hour, but we run it. I've, I've enjoyed this. You've been just such an amazing amazing amount of information not only to me to but to the guests and uh, it's it's the book is brilliant and it's such a brilliant practical guide and we there's so much more I want to talk about still uh, but we're not gonna have time but I do want to talk about one thing because there are I have a number of listeners who are and uh, friends also who are contemplating when they're going to retire 
And you, you spend the whole last section of this book is really almost devoted to retiring. And uh, now personally, I don't want to ever retire. I, I love what I do. I don't want to re ever retire. I love this. I want to stay in the game. I want to continue to make money. I know that's not everybody. It's, some people want to retire. What are some what are some questions maybe that people should ask themselves, or what should they know, or what should they consider when considering retirement? Well, you, you're right. If you read the Bible, nowhere if you read the Old Testament or the New Testament does God instruct us that we should retire. On the opposite side of the coin, I think there's nothing wrong from changing gears and downshifting if you've got a high-paying job or a job you love to maybe even going into one that's less stressful where you might not make as much money. I think you need to look yourself in the mirror and, and figure out how much money you want to spend in retirement. Does that mean spending $3,000 a month or $20,000 a month when you retire? And then, quite frankly, a financial planner can walk you through kind of those what-if scenarios. Um, there is a financial planner rule of thumb that if you retire at 65, you know, you should plan on living off 4% of the um of the value of that if you have a million dollars forty thousand dollars a year right. historically if you retired at the worst time in history which was 1973 right before the market pulled back and interest rates went up and we had hyperinflation of the 70s um if that four percent grew with inflation um statistically uh, you should not run out of money and that was kind of the worst time in history ever to retire I think there is a big difference to retire at 60 versus retiring at 70. Yeah. Uh, we do quite a, quite a bit. You know, if you wait until 70, you don't need as much money because you have a shorter period of time. You also get, you know, higher Social Security benefits. So those are all the things to kind of factor when deciding when to retire. And then we also walk through, once you've retired, do you take money out of retirement accounts? Do you spend taxable money? Right. Do you go through the conversion of an IRA to a Roth and the pros and cons of doing that? And even giving to charities. Right. How do you go about efficiently giving to charities right. if you're charitably inclined? Yeah, and, and by the way, that word efficient, uh, you know, you talk about tax efficient, wealth transfer, you you, you you go through the entire thing about retirement, which is why people really need to buy this book. Again, the book is entitled uh, The Middle Class Millionaire, and the book is just filled with, you've heard all the practical stuff that he's given you, right? But this book is filled with so much practical advice from how to teach your children to how to manage your longevity risk to when you should take your Social Security benefits. And he's already alluded to a little bit of that. And then, you know, thinking about long-term care, you know, and managing long-term care and what's that going to cost you. And then understanding Medicare, uh, which I know some of my listeners are thinking about that. And, and you know, tax-efficient wealth transfer and understanding estate planning, all those things. Clark has done a magnificent job. And so, Clark, uh, we've been on, and you've been great. Thank you so much. You've helped so many people, and this book is going to help a bunch of people. And people, you need to run out and get this book. The book's available on Amazon, but you get it in your favorite bookstore. If they don't have it, tell them to get it immediately and because you need to have this book in your hand, and you need to be reading it. I'm telling you that right now because this book is so powerful and will teach you so much about how you can manage your money how to become that middle-class millionaire, and it's just powerful. And so I, I want to, first of all, say thank you 
uh, Clark for writing this book because it's a fabulous uh, practical guide. So thank you for doing that. Jay, well, th thank you. I, Jay, uh, I'm sorry. Jay, thank, thank you for having me on your show. You're such a positive, um, influential person, and, and I love your, your positive vibes and uh, feedback that you have for everything you do. So I, I always ask my friends, because you're now a friend, <laughs> I always ask my friends on the show, I ask them if you could leave the listener, the show's called A New Direction, because we help people find a new direction and, you know, in their life, their careers, their business, and, and now money, uh, if you could give the listeners of A New Direction a new direction when it comes to money, what would Clark Kendall say? I would say success is not a destination. Success is the journey and enjoy your journey. That's beautiful. His name's Clark Kendall. He has been with us uh, for an hour. Folks, get the book. Uh, it's called The Middle Class Millionaire. It is, these are just simple strategies that you can use to really accumulate the kind of wealth that you really want to accumulate. I'm, I cannot emphasize enough that you need to go out and purchase this book. Uh, again, available hardcover, Kindle version. Uh, it's, it's absolutely outstanding. That's the show, folks. Uh, and you know what? We've been on an hour. It feels like 15 minutes. I feel like if I had another four hours with Clark, I still wouldn't have asked enough questions because there's so much that in the book that you could ask. And it's not really a long book either. That's the beautiful thing. That's how chock full of practical application it is. So you know what I say to you every week? You know what? Be inspired because when you're inspired, that inspire, you can inspire other people. And when you inspire the people, they in turn can inspire others. And if we do that, that can make this world a great place. So join me next week when I will have another outstanding guest right here on A New Direction. And you know what I say to you every week? And you know what that is? Ciao, everybody. And the answers don't make sense you got to keep your hope alive you got to know you can survive This is your